Episode 186, dated Friday the 14th of January 2011. Digital Cowboys Look Back, 1988. This week, we're starting the first of what will hopefully be an intermittent series of Digital Cowboys episodes focused on a single year in gaming. For our initial foray, we're journeying 13 years all the way back to 1998. Joining us, we have Leon Ratzo-Cox of Gamerdork. Hello. This is considered one of the best years in gaming, and we're going to find out why. To set the scene, the original Sony PlayStation was enjoying its fourth year of bringing console gaming to a more mature audience. The Nintendo 64 was enjoying some success after Mario 64 and Goldeneye had smashed new boundaries in the 3D market, but was already struggling to deliver adequate third-party support. And the Sega Saturn was on its last legs. Bill Clinton was enjoying a cigar or two with Monica Lewinsky during his second term and about to face impeachment and shame after lying to the Supreme Court and then quibbling over the terminology of the word sex. A bright young Tony Blair was heading up New Labour who had been in power for only a few months and giving much of Britain new faith in their government. Princess Diana, who died the previous August, was still being wept over by millions in a mass media hysteria event that changed the way news was broadcast forever. Everybody was scared of catching quotes felt Yakov disease from tainted meat. DVD players had just appeared. The general public was still getting used to widescreen TVs. Sony were beginning to wonder if Minidisc would ever take off outside of Asia. Jerry Halliwell announced her sad departure from the Spice Girls. Victoria Adams announced her engagement to David Beckham. Smoking had just been banned in bars all over California. Many countries in the world were united by their distaste and fear of human cloning. A man tried to hijack a Turkish Airlines passenger plane, claiming that he had a bomb in his teddy bear. His fellow passengers disapproved and apprehended him. Titanic won 11 Oscars, including Best Director and Best Film. LA Confidential didn't. Actor Charlton Heston became president of the National Rifle Association. The Roman Catholic Diocese of Dallas agreed to pay $23.4 million to nine former altar boys allegedly molested by one of their Catholic priests, Rudolf Koss. Iraq were just at the beginning of an ongoing crisis as the United Nations Special Commissioner and the United States government repeatedly asked them to disarm their weapons of mass destruction. U.S. Congress passed the Sonny Bono Copyright Term Extension Act, which gave copyright holders 20 more years of copyright privilege on work that they control. This effectively froze the public domain to works created before 1923 in the United States. Another Turkish Airlines flight was hijacked by another man, Kurdish militant who ordered the pilot to fly to Switzerland. The plane instead landed in Anakra after the pilot tricked the hijacker into thinking that he was landing in Bulgaria to refuel. An Afghanistan court declared that Osama bin Laden was a man without sin. Exxon bought Mobile in a $73 billion deal. Jesse Ventura, Blaine in Predator and Sergeant Slaughter in the WWF and G.I. Joe, was made Governor of Minnesota. The United Kingdom abolished the death penalty. Moore's murderess Myra Hindley was told she would spend her entire life in prison. Karate Kid Jaden Smith was born. And Google was founded. So let's talk about some fucking video games.
the games of 98. We're going to go through this month by month, covering the PAL releases unless otherwise stated. And we're going to be asking ourselves these questions. Why was this game important? What has its legacy been? And we'll be talking about the state of the consoles on the way. Oh, this is it. I'm back to being 18 years old again. Me too. Actually, I was 17 for the bulk of uh, 1998. Oh, I want to be 18 again. Can I be 18? Please. You were so much exactly the same. The same but yeah. Seriously, you were exactly the same. <laughs> I Leon, was thinner, that's about it. Leon, without asking, well, tell tell us. We don't need to know your age now. What was your age then? People can um, yeah, it's about 17, 18. <laughs> you bloody lie. <laughs> you lie. Well, I, I turned four. <clears throat> no, uh, I turned 26 in 1998. Right, right. Well, that gives us a basic idea of, of, uh, of our different positions. I mean, Tony and I were looking forward to leaving home, I think. Well, at least I was. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just about. And just becoming men, effectively. But I think this was around about the years that where we really started getting into games seriously. And, you know, we were buying our own consoles with money we'd earned in jobs exactly and stuff. You, you have money all of a sudden. You're yeah. away from your parents. Oh, actually, I must have still been living at home at that point. I think I was just about to move out. But I remember having money. Some mm. precious little thing I don't have anymore because I moved out. Yeah. Remember, kids, stay with your parents as long as you can. I hung around the Croydon Inn shops a lot and got a lot of secondhand. In fact, I've been doing that for many years. I, I remember doing that with around the SNES era. But uh, but yeah, that's the, buying secondhand games is really my way of getting getting them because uh, although actually now that I think about it, I bought a lot of as I recall shitty first-hand brand new PlayStation games purely on spec. Like Mortal Kombat 4 came out, I didn't even bother reading any reviews. I was like, oh, I'll buy that. I don't know when what year that was, but um, stupid things like that. Okay, so February. Now, this one I remember you getting, Tony, um, but it was only ever released in Japan uh, and then later America. But, uh, yeah, this Japanese release date was February 98, and the USA release was October 98, Xenogears. And it never made its way to the UK shores, if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah. What was it just like Gundam-style role-playing game or something? Yeah, help me out. Was it Square Soft? Yeah, it was Square. Uh, It was a game that uh, I often coveted uh, on import but never got round to getting I think what put me off was Tales of Disc 2 being uh, almost entirely a, a multi-hour exercise in pressing the X button to skip dialogue Jesus and, and you would be right in correcting that analysis and I, I remember it actually for its cutscenes um, it had pretty damn deep characters uh, you were within a, a mech suit and you would vaguely this is where we're always going to struggle to remember way back into 98 but um turn-based yeah. combat Turn, yeah, definitely turn-based combat. I, obviously, the the hype around Squaresoft at that point, after the, you know, the Final Fantasies that had been and gone beforehand. Uh, it, seven was the big one. That was the year before, so everyone was suddenly so, all yeah. about Square. So, yeah, we are all like, oh, my God, these these new RPGs we've never played before, and they mm. look amazing. And there was this, this Xenogears that was kind of uh, held above us and going, yes, well, it was gonna, never going to make it to the UK. And it, it, I remember thinking, my God, it looks And they amazing. were right. Yeah, and they were right. And it was, uh, and it still is, uh, regarded as a pretty damn good game. Um, very cutscene heavy and very, very 
um, Japanese turn-based structure to it. Was yours the North American version or the Japanese one? No, it's definitely North American. I remember reading the text. Um, I I couldn't imagine playing a Japanese-only RPG. I'm sure many of our listeners have, but... But just being able to just being able to do the the stat menus in English is tough enough for me. Um, but it, that does lead into like the first kind of sideways discussion is the fact that by that point I did own a, a chip PlayStation One hmm. um, for Metal Gear Solid primarily, but you know that it opened up a whole new avenue of uh, imported games because back in '98 we were suffering from the classic scenario of games didn't either get released in the UK or we had to wait months and months and months because. That's just the way the the system worked back then. Or and even if we did, yeah, versions. totally. Yeah. Yeah. Got squashed versions that ran 17% slower, and Christ. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think people in America or even you know, Japan um, under, quite understand why, why we were so upset, because to them I don't think many people saw it. Hmm. If you saw the difference between the American version of My Metal Gear Solid, where... The only way I can describe it is that he was running all the time. If you played the, the power version, it was suddenly like there was a button, but you just held down the entire time for him to walk mm. rather than run around the screen. It was that much, uh, that noticeable and obviously affected massively in fighting games. Yeah, yeah I was going to say it was... Talk about that later, but Tekken that's exactly falling for the UK release. Yeah. Uh, yeah, te- oh God. yeah, actually, we'll, we'll cover that in Tekken 3, but Xenogaze mm. um, was was a great game uh, I really enjoyed it I did complete it I remember I think Paul had it as well I think we were on a race to, to get to the end of it I don't think he ever did but it was a long game and a lot of cutscenes so. mm. uh, a franchise that has it did spawn a couple of sequels I'm sure yes I believe um, it did yeah but obviously none of them has ever come out and a, a lot of people would like to see a re-release of it uh, at least on the, the PlayStation Store or something but we shall see it says here the principles and philosophies of Friedrich Nietzsche Sigmund Freud Carl Jung and Jacques Lacan influenced the plot did you get that? <laughs> <laughs> you're like oh this is so like Nietzsche oh man uh, so many games have uh, overwiped that memory I'm sure yeah Age of Empires on the PC one of the most significant RTSs of all time came out in February of that year October 97 in the USA anybody play this? No, my friends uh, were deeply in love with the sequel, which came along a, a little later. Mm. Also, you've got to set the scene of PC gaming back in 98, 97, 98. Um, I didn't, I don't think I owned one at that point. I think back in no. those days, you couldn't really, unless your dad bought it for you, get yeah. a really good gaming PC of any kind. My, my only access to a PC at that point was actually around Paul's house, because his dad worked within the computer industry, so he yeah. had a PC, and I remember playing a lot of Doom, um, Half-Life, the, the original Half-Life. Yeah. Um, but that was my only access. I mean, it's strange considering I was brought up with Amstrads and Amigas and, you know, screens all over the place, but a PC seemed to be quite a foreign object. So. Yeah. Mm. They were very expensive luxury items when you were a kid, definitely. You knew, I mean, there were PC kids that you knew, but I don't know, there was something about that kind of family that were like, yes, uh, we have bought a PC for our child. It is for him to do homework. And he's like, yes, I've got to make sure I can play Dark Forces 2 on it as well. Our friend Thomas Underhill. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And yeah. James Moody is like, uh, you know, I was always very jealous of their the awesome machines. And they'd have LAN parties. And it was a very uh, intoxicating and, and, and separate world for me. The closest I think I got was um, going to Cybercafs on, uh, on, I think they had uh, LAN parties on Friday nights around about this time, actually. Also, uh, I described that as quite geeky at the time, which is stupid to consider <laughs> where we ended up in life. But yes. you know, PCs back then had that kind of, Cachet. They they were just uh, leading the charge. Um, May, Resident Evil 2 on the PlayStation 1. 
Huge for me. Loved this game. Yeah. More than the first. Yeah, I hadn't actually completed the first game at the point that the sequel came out. I'd enjoyed it, but I'd ended up repeatedly kind of putting it down, um, being dissatisfied with my progress. Um, but when the sequel came out, I spent, I remember, a, a long weekend playing it through four times with each yeah. uh, combination of character and scenario. Back to back, just uh, all the way through, absolutely loved it. And then there were the crazy bonuses to open up, such as the the infamous uh, tofu bean curd mode, which oh, was yes. <laughs> difficult. Um, and and of course, I think it was the debut of the mercenaries mode, which has kind of stayed with the series and evolved to the point that it's a whole kind of dedicated score attack mode now. Now, actually, here's a piece of music I'm going to play now. Listen to this. It's and it goes a little something like this. Run DMC versus Jason Nevins, it's like that. It's the remix of their original, much slower version. If you listen to this and just imagine Leon running along, uh, you know, just going, doing that thing where you curl around corners in, uh, in Resident Evil 2 once you've gotten used to the control system. And just imagine every drum beat goes with every footfall in Resident Evil 2. I listened to that song back to back for about four hours <laughs> while I played the first section of this game. And it's just, it's, if you play that song with that game, I will just be immediately 17 years old again and going, oh yes, it's like that and the, the way it is. That song makes me think of Gran Turismo, actually, which was around the same sort of time. It was, yeah. We're just coming up to that, actually. Mm. Um, in fact, I think it might even have been released on the same damn day. Um, we'll find out in just a second. Hang on. Uh, May the 8th. No, I was right. May the okay. 8th. That was a good day for games. So, yeah, tell you what, let's talk about Gran Turismo, then. Wow. I mean, I don't like driving games at all. You may have noticed that about me, Tony. But... Um, <laughs> This was, uh, if you remember, I think um, the thing that really changed it about it was um, if you used the analog pad, which was, I think, released that year, or pretty cl- damn close, that the first one with the sticks, um, it well, really, yeah. F- yeah, yeah, it really changed the way you played Gran Turismo, and, and the, the the handling of those cars was astonishing, and the being able to, we remember watching those replays over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. How uh, graphics can look this good? It can't look any better. This is as good as graphics can ever look. Absolutely, um, and 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 the replays are still the best part of the Gran Turismo games. <laughs> these years later, yes, I, I agree with that but, one. Yeah, I mean, the first thing to remember because a lot of people say, "Well, '98 is so many franchises started, and, and that's mm-hmm. why it's one of the most important years in gaming." Um, and Gran Turismo, I think, is is one of the first ones we've we've come across now where this is begins of. A franchise which would blossom, and you know, some might argue fade out with uh, five. But um, I remember just being absolutely floored by Gran Turismo. I put so many hours into that game. Um, I, I believe it's it's. I don't think I ever did 100% into. I did that with Gran Turismo 2, mm. but Gran Turismo 1 I, I got in in the regions of the 90s, 90 odd percent, and just played it non-stop, and it was beautiful. It was the second ever game that Edge magazine gave a 10 out of 10 to, so it was pretty big big news. What was the first? 
uh, Mario 64. That rightly deserved. Uh, but not Goldeneye. No, Netflix. famously, they, they have kind of... Uh, that's one of the yeah, few that they've since said, um, but we'll come up to later in a year, a game that they also gave... Mm. Nine out of ten. Um, that they really again deserve. Oh, what, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. No, that one. Oh, fuck yeah, that it one. Out. Okay, no. yeah. We'll save that one as a surprise. Ocarina was uh, ten, number three. But yes, that right. comes later. But okay. What I will say about Gran Turismo is that driving racing games. Maybe mm. there was a few on the PC that I, I didn't know of, um, <clears throat> and I think there was a few F1 games around that time as well that were pretty, you know, pretty spectacular. But Gran Turismo was the one that. May driving just seemed that much more that that it can it wasn't just Daytona or Sega Rally or you know just throw away entertainment it mm. could actually have pretty much a single player uh, storyline experience for the amount of hours that you know you were on you were going through a path you were unlocking hundreds of cars uh, and so so deep I don't know I just that was the moment when I think we realised that games could be and even games like a, a racing game could be a lot more than just you know five minutes of fun put a cool well, put 50p in the, the slot machine and and there you go uh, i think gran turismo is, was really the, the beginning of <laughs> well as i say like strangely story story driven um single player games that take that much longer mm. or at least career driven it yeah, was uh, it's interesting if you if you read the reviews again now of Gran Turismo I, I'm pretty sure that you you would pretty much be able to kind of if you just changed a few of the words transpose it onto reviews of the recent game mm-hmm. uh, obviously without issues regarding online play and things like that but I remember a lot of talk about you know, I think the the critics were wowed by the, the those those graphics, the replay graphics, and that incredible intro with that uh, was it Manix remixed by. Actually, the the racing in the game was the the racing was poor. The driving was sophisticated for the time, but the it's racing was terrible. Go. That's right. Uh, and the there were only six cars on track for mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. technical reasons, and they kind of filed round, yep. and it was the same no. problem that the game still have, which is that you no can damage. be massive, yeah. no damage. You can be massively overspecced for an event, and just it's, so you tended to either lag way, but yeah, it, it's pretty much the same the same thing. It's yeah. just got a lot prettier. I, I remember um, that was one of the things that I liked about the game. I had a Mitsubishi GTO mm-hmm. Twin Turbo and just souped it up to crazy levels power, yeah. and just kept <laughs> chucking money at it and just it kept doing easy races so that I could get more money and beefing the thing up so that I was pretty much unbeatable, like yeah. a, just a human rocket. I remember poor me taking the piss out of you quite chronically because you had the most powerful car in the game. Yeah, mm. it just almost spun around in circles. You, you, you. I remember this. You used to just hold down the the X button yeah. and grind around the walls. <laughs> until you That's got the, the way you do it, isn't it? <laughs> it was ridiculous. But you know, I don't know. You should have encouraged me to play the only car game I will ever enjoy apart from Burnout. And of course, going to Dubbo. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, a massive, a massive, massive title. I'm going to underline Gran Turismo there because I think, uh, as inexpensive as most of the games on this list are, apart from Radiant Silvergun, um, you can to be able to reacquire a few of these just to be able to relive these moments. I know it's probably a bad idea and shooting myself in the foot, but I can probably yeah. pick this up for pence on eBay right now. I think it would look dire. I think it would be. It would. Fairly so I drive this car-covered, coloured stickle brick around this well, corner. <laughs> I, I, I've still got Gran Turismo 2, which I've talked about in the previous yeah. podcast, and uh, I put that in, and even with the, the PS3's upscaling, it, yeah, it, 
you know the wheels look almost triangular <laughs> it's just but that's i mean that's that's just the way technology works and you know that's certainly the way when we're talking stuff like the playstation games you know they they seem to suffer more than uh, a lot of the stuff on the n64 um just with the way that you know they present themselves graphically wise but hey i don't know sometimes it's good to look back in the past but I don't know. Grand Turismo, yeah, I mean, Grand Turismo can't be that much to buy now. It'd probably just be fun for five minutes. That's fine. Yeah. Better off picking up GT4 probably on, on the PS2 for pence rather than GT1 on the PS1. But that means getting out the old PS2. I don't have one of those. I mean, if, I'd, if I'd known that they were going to completely bugger the PS3 over time, I would have bought one on, on launch day just so that mm. I could have it uh, back compat. But well, um, I didn't. That's, that's, I was a fool. That's a, that's a good point of actually to note here is that all these games on, on PlayStation One will be, you know, will play on your PlayStation Three. Yeah, much. that's what I. It's not wireless pad. That's how it goes for me. Yeah. Okay. Um, then May, continuing May, Panzer Dragoon Saga finally got out in the UK. This, yes. This one's for you, Leon. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I was uh, one of a few kind of uh, to use that um, no longer favoured term, hardcore people who still loved their Sega Saturn, even though it was not the choice of the the the, uh, the playground and uh, and even the workplace, in my case. Uh, playground. Though, if you were 26 years old, hanging around a playground somewhere. Yeah, I was thinking more <laughs> of you guys. Yes. Um, but uh, for those in the know, the Cognoscenti, the Saturn <laughs> was still an amazing machine to have. And anyone who says otherwise is a deluded fool. Um, but <laughs> the power release schedule was sparse and uh, it was coming it was coming to the end of its natural life and sega were gearing up for the dreamcast launch in japan but we still got a few last gems in uh, the first half of the year in in europe including panzer dragoon saga which was t- to be team andromeda's swan song one of the best development teams sega ever had yeah. sadly disbanded after this uh, it was a phenomenal four disc game came in a lovely box um very limited print run uh, I think I can't remember. I've, I've heard talk of thirty thousand copies in Europe and three thousand in America, but I don't. That's p- probably nonsense. Um, I've since owned more copies, um, picked them up cheap, and sold them on for enormous profit. <laughs> but when Panzer Dragoon Saga came out, uh, I was a big fan of Panzer Dragoon's Y, which was from a couple of years previous, which was a, a shooter, and Saga was uh, the Panzer Dragoon world, which was a phenomenal, bewitching world um, turned into an RPG, a tactical RPG. And it was amazing. I played nothing else for a fortnight after it came out, completely immersed in the world. I think I put 30 hours into it. Um, and uh, again, it would probably look a little rough today, but it was it was pretty much a technical tour de force for the Saturn. And it, it looked way better than equivalent games on the PS1 at that point because it was in-house Sega team who knew the graphics libraries inside out and, and all that kind of thing and it's it's kind of it's one of those games that's gone down as, as a legend and rightly so but it's it's not really been played by that many people I guess because because of uh, the way things turned out Gran Turismo on eBay guess how much Tuppence uh, 199 you're pretty close actually Rato was closer it's 6p 6p Panzer Dragoon Saga about 90 quid 130 for the uh, best condition one okay obviously that's the cheapest Gran Turismo and the most expensive Panzer Dragoon Saga but uh, perspective for you right there I, I, and I, I honestly think Saga would uh, would be more fun to play in, in this day and age if, once you get past the blockiness of it 
Yeah, because obviously racing has done leaps and bounds, but Saga is kind of a contained story-driven. Yeah, story. exactly. Um, a couple of questions, Leon. If it was such a, a technical marvel and something the Saturn to be very proud of, what was then up with the limited print run from Sega? Because I think the the Saturn was already being kind of sold off mm. uh, for the PlayStation in amongst... It was only you know weirdos like me who obsessively need to play the best video games on every system who are still buying games for it. So then and what, it was just a case of... Uh, Sega saying that's it we've done with the, the thing and let's just ship this while we still can ship some stuff out and not really care yeah they actually released the entire of disc one as a free cover mount on Sega Saturn magazine so that people would kind of you know it was like the gateway drug people would get hooked Jesus. on disc one and uh, and disc <clears throat> one was pretty massive you know and uh, and I think that that helped and the critical acclaim it was getting I think it was it was like it was a 94% game in the official mag, and it was a 9 out of 10 in Edge and, and, and so on. Um, but, yeah, it, there, there really weren't that many uh, active Saturn owners left at this point because we were two years on from the kind of the big early releases of Virtua Cop, Virtua Fighter 2 and Sega Rally, two or three years, in fact. And, uh, yeah, the PlayStation was kind of going from strength to strength at this stage with titles like Gran Turismo and Resident Evil 2. Mm. Well then, the next question, we've, we've kind of started with Gran Turismo, so we might as well carry on now, is that, do you reckon something like Panzer Dragoon Saga, I mean obviously we're receiving Dreamcast games on XBLA and, you know, PlayStation Store alike, do you think this is something that potentially if they decided to do Saturn games would work in today? I think if they did an HD version, they'd, oh, they'd obviously have to up-res the assets mm. quite dramatically. Mm. Uh, but I think the, the, the gameplay, the soundtrack would definitely all still stand up. Was, was there a uh, Dreamcast version or something? You know, no, I, know, the, I know there was Auto the on the Xbox. Version, yeah, yeah Auto was the next game, and that wasn't by the same team, and, yeah. and it kind of showed. Uh, so right. that that was the end for the true Panzer Dragoon saga. Obviously, um, some of the developers are making a game for Kinect at the moment, aren't they? Which involves, yeah, it's yeah. called Project Draco, uh, yeah. which obviously shares the initials with Panzer Dragoon, there's a little bit of a clue there, but and Draco means dragon in Latin. Indeed, and I think it's gonna, but I think it's more of a return to the Panzer Dragoon one and two was by uh, shoot 'em up. Arena. I can't see him. Yeah, I can't see him doing an RPG based on the franchise again. No, no, level money. No, mm. no, probably not. Okay, so for this next one, Tony, uh, bear in mind that uh, the uh, N64 version is coming up, but yeah, International Superstar Soccer Pro 98 on the well, PS1. Yeah, obviously, Leon and me could have a conversation about this. Now, I, I wasn't a fan of IS Pro 98 on the PlayStation 1. I was a fan of oh. um, uh, International Ooh. Superstar Soccer 98 on the N64, which is coming up later in, in the thing. So if you want to take this one, and I can give maybe some of the reasons why I disagree with you. <laughs> okay, well, I, I loved them both in very different ways. Uh, ISS 98 of, on the N64 obviously had the full analog, analog control, and yep. it was it was a natural successor to the amazing ISS Deluxe on the uh, SNES, although there was one ISS in between. ISS Pro 98 was the, the first winning 11, really, the, first, the game that would become Pro Evolution Soccer. There was one before it, which we had as ISS. Actually, no, there were two before it. I tell a lie. So it was kind of the third winning eleven, really, because we had Goldstorm first, in, and uh, which is, looks astonishingly bad now. <laughs> um, this was the update to the original ISS Pro, which was which was a winning eleven game. Uh, it was kind of, it was a bit more mechanical feeling than the N64 version. I think mainly because of the digital controls, but I did feel that it had 
it had a more kind of technical view of football, whereas the ISS games were brilliant, absolutely brilliant, but uh, the non-pro games were more kind of arcadey. Yeah. And, and I, I played them both to absolute death. I, I completely creamed them both until I could beat any team with anyone else on the highest setting. They were both magical football games. I, I think, yeah, your description of it being mechanical is the reason that I, I was turned off for it. And, and this is, once again, we're talking about 98 here, so, you know, we're straddling the line between stuff starting to become realistic, having the power under the hood to, to make that happen, and, you know, our, arcade roots. And I think at the, that time, I was definitely in, in the camp of IS-98, <laughs> it's like I always called it, on the N64. Um, and mainly because it, the arcadey nature lended itself more to the multiplayer, which was something I spent a hell of a lot of time in. Um, but I did own it's, uh, it's Pro 98 on, on the PlayStation 1, but didn't get anywhere near as much play. But uh, I imagine now it, it probably, yeah. <laughs> well, probably again, you, you, can, you can pick yeah. up various versions of PES for PS1 and 2 for pence, um, and the early ones are going to look basically horrendous and feel incredibly clunky whereas iss 98 or maybe the 2000 version you could probably still pick up and play and have a bit of fun with uh with with those uh with those analog controls right okay so next one uh, burning rangers on the saturn uh, again ratso you're gonna have to feel this one I, that means nothing to me okay well this was sonic team's final game for the sega saturn and uh yuji naka um we we saw him uh, at Eurogamer in in the summer uh, last yeah. summer, and he f- f- kind of infamously turned down, batted away any talk of of the Sega Saturn era. But he was the producer on this rather excellent game that I always hoped would be sequeled on on Dreamcast. But sadly, Sonic Team kind of went went rather wishy washy and start ended up kind of turning out. Yeah. increasingly poor 3D Sonic based platformers. Yep. Burning Rangers in in some ways was feels to me even more than Sonic Adventure, like the last really great Sonic Team game. I'm not thinking about Fantasy Star Online here, because that's so, kind of... So what's the actual gameplay, then? The gameplay was... It was a peaceful game. It was about rescuing. You played a futuristic team of firefighters, and you went into these big uh, exploding structures, and you had to navigate around exploding pipes and flash fires and rescue people. And that was it, but it had uh, it only had four levels in the main game. However, it also had a level generator, which would effectively generate infinite levels uh, after you completed the main game. Um, the main problem with Burning Rangers was that the Saturn was absolutely not capable of running Burning Rangers. <laughs> it's got uh, incredible clipping issues and frame rate issues, but the core game is fantastic and really rewarding, really atmospheric, um, but it would... It, it would look an absolute mess now. It looked quite a bit of a mess then. Right. But um, it had a great anime intro with a theme song, and, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of Sonic Team's forgotten gem, really, and, and I'm really sad that they never got to make a, a kind of more technically adept sequel on, on one of the later consoles. <laughs> Okay, so and this one's for you, Charlie, this time. Banjo-Kazooie on the N64. I've never found this game charming, but I know a lot of people have. 
and it completely passed me by. Oh so, yeah, I know Paul was the one who loved this one. Yeah. Why isn't Paul on this show? I I, I love this one. Sorry. Oh, go for it, actually. Yeah. That's be it, me yeah. again. Uh, yeah, I didn't buy this on day one. I'd been looking at the previews and the screenshots and thinking, hmm, cutesy platformer, I've played a lot of these, is it really going to be anything special? It There's was rare reason. when they were really good. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and uh, yeah, it was obviously, we were about half years post-Goldeneye. Um, I was, everyone was still absolutely caning Goldeneye around my way, myself included. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seemed a bit of a stretch for um, Banjo, because he'd obviously also been playing Diddy Kong Racing. Uh, which was Banjo's debut uh, for, the, for the last six months and um, I don't know but I think Diddy Kong Racing although I ended up kind of completing it some years later it was such a kind of brutal game bizarrely that uh, as many of Rare and Ultimate's games were I suppose if you look back I was kind of put off with this but for some reason I took a notion on the Saturday morning rather than on launch day to pop, pop into town and I ended up coming home with it and I absolutely fell in love with it it was so lush so magical so kind of evocative of childhood um, amazing soundtrack uh, just for the time the graphics were incredible the humour was goofy and stupid but it was charming I, I, it was so kind of crass uh, that even my relatively sophisticated 26-year-old self who, like Peter Cook and the Marx Brothers, was finding those exchanges between Kazooie and Gruntilda genuinely amusing. Um, wildly inventive levels. Obviously, uh, you know, we've seen the themes before. We had snowy level and fiery level and all the traditional swamp level. It was uh, a lot of collecting. There was a lot of collecting to do. There were some extremely hard jiggies to get. Uh, I think I was still completing the game in the year 2000 when they finally released the code for the ice key and, and all that. Uh, but I did eventually completely ace the game and uh, and I absolutely adored it. And uh, I have it on XBLA now and that's that's the way to play it. Mm. It's uh, It looks nice. You've got to remember as well that it, it comes from the era of obviously Mario 64 and looking... And, and controlling very, very similar. I mm. always mm. felt, you know, a lot of people love the fact that it had that still that kind of cartoony environment. And uh, the only kind of thing I've ever heard about Banjo Kazooie is the way that people say there's so many things to collect in it. Um, so <laughs> be warned. I, I, I was, I'm still tempted to try the the Xbox Live uh, arcade version that they they re-released with the uh, the ability to do the whole egg. Thing as well because you know some of that passes over the stop and swap yeah which yeah, was it, yeah. uh, reinstated into the uh, Kazooie and Tui triumvirate on, on XBLA which was amazing for me yeah now I've put for the next one Spice World <laughs> uh, only because I remember um, I worked at Blockbusters from, from August onwards because I quit my shitty job at Safeway um, actually it was linked in with you and I went to Reading didn't we Tony we did yeah and um yeah. I had asked for that particular weekend off months in advance. And they went, yeah, 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 no worries, no worries, no worries. And then when it got close to the time, they said, mm, everyone's asked for this weekend off. Uh, we really can't give it to everyone. And uh, I said, well, I really, you know, I've already bought my tickets now. And, you know, I've never been to an open-air festival before. I really, really would like to go to this one. And it came close to the time. They went, nah, you're definitely working on those days. So I phoned them up from a phone booth. At Reading, yeah. I went, oh, yeah, I'm really ill today. While well, people were walking past the phone booth going, Reading! And I was like, mm, okay, bye, click. And then as, as soon as I got home, I started drafting my resignation. 
And um, interesting fact, uh, as I finished uh, and signed my name, I did a little Z underneath because uh, the Mask of Zorro was just coming out. And it was like, a <laughs> and it was like, haha, I resigned too quick before you fired me. And I still do that to this yeah. day. A little. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we were at uh, Reading that year. I remember South Park was very big. I, I was wearing my Oh My God, They Killed Kenny t-shirt. We went to see lock stock, too, lock stock and two smoking barrels. Yeah. Yo-yos were big that year again. And um, <laughs> yeah, there was this. I bought a yo-yo from a side street vendor, and I was like, Oh, I'm going to really get into this, and I'm going to impress the ladies with my yo-yo skills. Do you remember what happened to that yo-yo, Tony? Yeah, you were messing around with it, and you were so proud of this yo-yo. You were messing around with it next to like seconds uh, after I taking it, it out of the packaging. Yeah, just walking down the road, and everyone's going, "Ooh, yo, 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 yo!" And then you flinged it so hard, it flung from your hand, <laughs> rolled down the pavement, jumped into a road, and a car ran over it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was within sight of the guy I'd bought it from. I, I don't remember what he shouted at me, but it's it's. There are children present. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Can we rewind to the bit where you said you were going to try and impress the ladies? With I, the was wearing, <laughs> I was wearing a French Connection T-shirt when I wasn't wearing my South Park T-shirt that said French Connection me. I was like, you know, just in case the ladies don't get the hint, I'm looking for it. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm 18 years old. I'm ready to party. <laughs> so as soon as I got back, I, I thought, right, I'm going to go uh, work at Blockbusters because I'm now legally old enough. So bollocks do it. And so I quit Safeways and went, like, walked up to Blockbuster said, I know lots about movies. And they hired me immediately on spec. Um, I think I've mentioned this before. The, the, the manager was operating one of the biggest piracy rings in the southeast. He was, yeah. I won't reveal his name, but, uh, yeah, it was dodgy as hell. Just out back of that particular Blockbusters, how many dodgy DVDs were just sitting there. Anyway, uh, Spice World, I think I rented it as one of my first rentals. You know, a free rental. I did not pay money for it because I wanted to see how bad it was. And it was so bad. Buster Groove, which we're going to mention later, come out, came out this year. And it was a dancing game, much like DDR, and you press corresponding buttons on the pad. This game, Spice World, they couldn't even get a full Spice Girls song on there. You just danced to a bit of a Spice Girls song. And then it just did it again to that bit again. It was pathetic. Amazing. Uh, I was a 26-year-old man, so even if I'd wanted this game, I wouldn't have been able to buy it. <laughs> you see what I mean? Yes. But I saw the reviews, and uh, and I Famous. went to the ec- excellent Buster Groove instead. Yeah, absolutely. Famous reviews. It got absolutely slammed. It was basically it was selling to little girls who didn't know what a video game was, and that's what's the word? Exploitation. Maybe it was just before its time. No, it was an exploitation. It was it was behind its time. The, the, I mean, if, if it had just been a straightforward dance game like Buster Groove to all, you know, the greatest hits of the Spice Girls, fair enough. If it had been responsive enough and you got to play as the Spice Girls and made them all dance, but it couldn't even do that. Mm. It's one job. Okay, so on to nicer, cleaner matters. Uh, July, Radiant Silver Gun, Ratso, go. <laughs> Yes, uh, I recently sold my copy of Radiant Silver Gun, the one I bought in July 1998. Um, was it was around it? about 130 quid did you get for that? Yeah, I can't remember now actually, but yes, uh, it was about a ton. Um, and it was sad to go, but I know it's going to lose its value once the XBLA version yeah. comes out later this year. Did you just go a bit cockney there because we were talking about uh, uh, Lockstock? I am a little bit cockney. Sold it for a ton. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Nick, you could choke a dozen donkeys on that. 
you know the uh, there is a Brighton Cockney. Um, it does occasionally slip out. Um, Radiant Silver Gun. I remember going up to London to the then magical mecca that was CEX Rathbone CEX. Place. CEX. That's where uh, Tony got his Metal Gear Solid, I believe. Now, absolutely not a magical place. Just pretty much nope. a hive of hive of scum and mobile phones. Yeah. <laughs> um, but back then, I used to walk into that place and sink to my knees. Uh, you know, like Randall in Clark's, where he goes to the big so, video store. Yes, stop calling it Clark's, you bloody British person. Sorry. Uh, and yeah, he goes to a bigger video video store than the place he works, and he's just like, oh, so yeah. Yeah, so, it, it, that's the. Didn't they have like a, a section reserved just for consoles? Uh, not just that, like. Well, no, like, they, a, like a little museum for consoles. Yeah, they, I mean, the one that we went to, they had a glass end, like the, the room, there was a big glass cabinet, and that had all the art with the old consoles as well as imported consoles that you've never seen, stuff like Radiant Silver Gun, which, you know... <laughs> which pre-internet was huge, because you couldn't massive, see these yeah. things anywhere else. Oh, yeah. It was I amazing. Back, I went back to the same store where all that once happened. Now, yep, full of DVDs and cheap porn. <laughs> really, it's really depressing. That's the one yeah. Charlie Brooker used to work in as well. And uh, and I remember going up there a couple of times, and um, like the staff were made me feel cool, but because mm-hmm. like I selected a load of really like good hardcore games, um, I would be buying X Men versus Street Fighter and Metal Japanese Cycle. version, obviously on the set. Yeah, or the, yeah, not or the, the completely Japanese. fucked PlayStation PAL no. version. No. No, indeed, all, all these. They Japanese couldn't even versions. manage the character select screen. It was just a black screen. With, like, names on it. That was pathetic. The Saturn, this was also the point where the Saturn had the the 4 meg RAM expansion, Mm. which you would use with uh, the Capcom fighting games particularly, because obviously they had thousands of frames of animation, and some of the SNK Neo Geo conversions, like Metal Slug, used Mm. 1 meg of of that RAM. Mm. Um, Radiant Silvergun, I remember going up to London, uh, yeah, the the mecha, uh, the, the walls and walls of import, Saturn stuff and PlayStation stuff, just an incredible and yeah loads and loads of retro as well and uh my girlfriend at the time um kind of knew what games i was after and i was kind of sort of grabbing things off the shelf and thinking how can i you know how can i possibly justify spending hundreds of pounds in one go and uh, but it was exciting i still remember those days go a couple of times i went up there and uh, and she managed to locate the one copy of Radiant Silver Gun they had in at that point it was around uh, a around 50 pounds on the nose, as it were, mm. um, and I had absolutely no hesitation or qualms. Um, I knew that Treasure were an amazing development team, and I, I'd seen the reviews that this got. I loved the genre, and uh, and I took it home and I played it on and off for the next twelve years. So um, okay. it was worth things. it. How, how do you think it's going to fare upon its Xbox Live debut? I think it'll be fairly quietly received, um, much like Ikaruga. Yeah, exactly. It's it's for the fans. The people who know about these games adore them, but it's like I'm really pleased to see Cave releasing games like uh Dead on Patch and Espgaluda on iPhone because it is acknowledging that there is still a market for these types of uh, sort of extremely hard bullet curtain or bullet hell whatever you want to call them shooters. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that um I don't think people are likely to spend the sort of 800 or 1200 MSP when there's loads of shooters they can get on the but indie marketplace for 80 points or whatever. Isn't, um, isn't it strange though? Because you think something like Radiant Silver Gun, um, anybody that follows games knows the word Radiant Silver Gun and they, they know that it's very expensive and they know that it was the hype maybe of the genre. Uh, a lot yeah. of the, I've heard a lot of people criticising it maybe, you know, in, the, in its later date. But I, I find it amazing that 
this game that most people would have no access to, whatever, because obviously owning the Saturn, finding maybe the import version, um, and now yeah. it's going to be available just at the click of a download. Christ, there's even going to be a demo of it, a trial version yeah. of this game. It just it shows you how the these big games were once the reason they they held that value um, from way back in '98. Is, is now going to be available just literally a click of a button. So. But I, I love that as well. I love the fact that people... Mm. It's like... Um, it's better than mu- a museum because a museum you'd be able to sort of look at them and then go home and think about it. This is like taking a museum piece home with you and being able to play it on your console as long as they don't mess with it too much and allow you to play the original version. I think uh, they'll probably do what they did with Ikaruga, which is a very subtle and tasteful update rather than um, reinventing the wheel or anything like that. Uh, Wasn't the, Guru the, Mark of the Wolves originally quite expensive before it came out? Uh, oh, what the well, yeah, uh, there's a, dream, dream, a Dreamcast version as well. Yeah, that was yeah. yeah there's there's quite a few of those, and and yeah, I'm absolutely all for it. I, I you know I don't like the idea of kind of only sniffy, knowledgeable collectors being able to play these things. Yeah, it may be that upset, weren't they? <laughs> the fact that it's coming out, well, exactly. it's not going to be worth anything. Yeah, That's well, not true, because uh, Symphony of the Night's still going for huge amounts online. Yeah, some people still want the original, mm. uh, you know, uh, packaging and, and all that, and the, to play it without any emulation or borders or, or whatever, you know, whatever they, they do with, with, the, uh, with the XBLA versions. But for me, it was... Uh, you know, I couldn't justify holding on to my Saturn copy when I'm going to be able to buy yeah. an improved version, hopefully, with online leaderboards and achievements and all that cool stuff, yeah. um, online multiplayer for probably £10. So. And if it makes someone else happy who does just want to have that on their shelf so they can go, look, I've got the original, then, yeah, yeah fair play. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to finally giving it a go because it's, it's something it's, I've it's, always heard about and you know wanted to try but never was willing to make that Aside from all the hushed tones, it is a brilliant shoot 'em up you know it's it's a very very clever game it is also extremely difficult if you want to play it well okay so on the pc now, I think you may have played this on the PS1, Tony, later on, but uh, Rainbow Six was launched in August. Yeah, w- once again, obviously I didn't have access to it, but talking about games that, that spawned series that were very popular in, in yeah. recent years, no doubt we will cover those particular titles in, in different years that we, we come to. But it, it's fair to say that the humble beginnings of Rainbow Six... Before it went to Vegas... <laughs> there was a few before it even got anywhere close. So is it like Elvis Presley? No, but, but the thing to note of Rainbow Six, whether it be on PC or the terrible port they did to the, the PlayStation One, yeah, um, it was really cut down because the PS One was not could not cut it at a no, PC but, level. But it, it was a tactical shooter. I mean, mm. that's that's kind of taken the mick out of how they turned out now. But no, it was it was really about placing orders, uh, looking at a map for 20 minutes, working out which room you should attack from which direction, rather than, you know, all, all on the fly and a press of a, a D-pad button to send, you know, different commands. It was all basically map-driven, and it belonged on the PC at that point. But it, it's an interesting to say that Rainbow Six was a very different game from what you know it now. Um, and like I said, we will cover those games in, in future mm. uh, things, but yeah, that... It had terrible ports, as as and when, because they were trying obviously set that name Ubisoft at the time. We're trying to get that name a bit more popular. Yeah. But uh, it, yeah, it was very much a PC game at that po- uh, point, point. Um, and I personally wouldn't have seen it c- 
coming away from its roots because you know a lot of a lot of PC gamers love the fact that it was very hardcore at the time. Um, so to see it kind of languishing the way it is now after was it the last one was Vegas two, wasn't it? I, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, so very different from um, its beginning. So is it just yeah. that uh, COD has kind of overtaken it in terms of, of just straight out shooters or? Um, no, so is, I, I, is there a better tactical shooter out there? This is not really my uh, area of expertise. Well, I mean, I, I, I would argue that the latest, you know, parts of Rainbow Six did their own thing and they've done it very, very well. Not everything has to be the same as COD to succeed. And, and I, I think that's what they're, they're obviously struggling with wanting to bring the series back out. What, 90, 97 probably was what, Vegas 2? Maybe 90, not 90, 2007? Mm. Um, so it's it's been a, a few years, and I think you know they they want to differentiate from from stuff like COD. But yeah, let's say the main thing to talk about Rainbow Six was that it was very much a hardcore tactical PC shooter mm. um, that spawned off you know a huge franchise. And I, I'm pretty sure Ubisoft at the time had had no idea what laid you know beyond this very hardcore PC title. Mm. September, another football game. <laughs> this one's the good one. Uh, Is 98 on the N64. Why was this different from the PS1? Uh, imagine I fell asleep when you started talking about it before, Tony. Well, yeah, no, you, but um, that's understandable. <laughs> and that will happen. We have other games uh, coming up in the list, and I'll, I'll make sure that you know it about then. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got to talk about like lost childhood. I mean, for me, obviously being 18, you know, <laughs> I was growing from a child into a man. Uh, although that still hasn't really happened, I would argue. Um, <laughs> Physically. <laughs> Mentally, uh, a couple of nice things about it's nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember playing it tons with, with my brothers. So we've been through that story a billion times, yeah. and yeah, that's great memories. I st- I'm it's one of the my... ones you could kick their asses on, right? Yeah, well, yeah, you know, I could kick their asses all the games. Yeah, it was just the one, the one that would be willing to come back time and time again. But it was very, very arcadey. Yeah. Um, a, a, the funny thing is, in front of me, I, I actually have my original copy of this '98, which apparently. Um, I brought from Blockbuster, and it's still got the receipt on it. On September the ninth, nineteen ninety-eight. So, You're um, welcome. Yeah, so I'm going to guess <laughs> that, that was that from was, me, clearly. Yeah, the date that it it still it, it came out, and uh, apparently it cost me forty pound. So nice. Um, but yet, yeah, the, the the thing to actually note here is that we're not talking about FIFA in any of these discussions here. Yeah, sure, there was FIFA games, but this was was king <laughs> to me anyway at that time this was the complete king it is important yeah. to know that FIFA 98 came out in 97 and we'll be doing that in our episode where we talk about yeah, 1997 I mean I <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit about where FIFA may have been, um, Leon? Yeah, FIFA had two games in 98. The World Cup 98 game, uh, which I remember had uh, Chumbawamba um, <laughs> thumping. Uh, and that, that was the kind of soundtrack for the summer. Um, which I always thought was slightly odd choice for a World Cup game, given the, the sort of uh, content of the song. Um, but, I uh, don't. Yes. It was aimed at yours. I get knocked down. It was actually supposed to be uh, like uh, satirical, a piss yeah, take, well, it, but the exactly. jobs took it very feckin' literally. Like, oh yeah, pissing the night away, yeah, brilliant. He, um, a friend, uh, actually, my, my he drinks a whiskey dick, he drinks a vodka dick, he drinks a lurgy dick, he drinks a soda dick. Yeah, I wonder why that was massively popular amongst yeah, one of my jobs. Uh, 
my work. Not to sound massively middle class here, but you know. Was very good friends with the lead singer of uh, Shumbly Wumbly. And um, they they never saw that hit coming. They just they made no, it. And, not so. and it completely oh, blew God. the band up into this area where they, they honestly didn't want to be. Mm. Uh, they were, you know, like, like we say, they were a band that kind of took the piss out of society and yeah. didn't want to become that, that kind of. They didn't want people going, way at them and, on the and street. And the band, the band, I think, had one more album after that and then folded because of the pressures of exactly what they didn't want to become. And uh, that song, yeah, was taken up as... It's like the album. Beastie Boys releasing Fight For Your Right and they were like, no, look, we, we don't... <laughs> but you this is supposed song. to be ironic. <laughs> it's not a frat boy theme, but God... Oh. But anyway... Um, yeah, it, it happens a lot, the, uh, the misappropriation of... Yeah. of uh, well-meaning songs. Um, anyway, yes, no. FIFA was uh, FIFA was uh, perhaps hit its high point after. I mean, it's debatable how good the early Mega Drive games were, but they were certainly sort of outstanding in in presentational terms. Um, FIFA Night Road to the World Cup '98, which came out in '97, was really quite one of the first really playable polygon-based football games. It should be said, other than perhaps ISS on the N64. Um, and it had a really cool indoor mode, which everyone remembers, and they never repeated for some reason. Um, so World Cup 98 and FIFA 99 were kind of underwhelming because they just built very little on FIFA 98. And in, in some ways, kind of, they were more about spamming the special move buttons and things than, than that and uh, became a bit farcical. They were definitely an improvement on the appallingness of things like FIFA 97, where they kind of stumbled into the 3D era um, but obviously nowhere near where FIFA would end up in the uh, in the, the early this decades of being really the best football game yeah I mean maybe that's where, where I, I'm maybe oversimplifying it's now Superstar Soccer 90 on the N64 a bit because once again the N65 there's the beautiful way of doing big chunky cartoony graphics mm. that felt like no, no other system you know the, the PlayStation at the time didn't really produce the same kind of... No, they just, weren't that colourful. They yeah. were sort of very bitty, sort of like sticky leg type people. Yeah, so the, so the greens of the of the grass really stood out and the, and the players were a lot more, you know, broad-shouldered than, than they were on the PlayStation 1 version. And it was the arcade version, so it was very different from the PlayStation 1. But it, it, it can't be understated how much coming straight off a cart as opposed to, you know, having to stream off a CD that was, was whirring much. round was, you know, gave it a sort of chunky immediacy. I was just going to say all, all that, that kind of stuff with the 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 the, uh, the palette and stuff did depend somewhat on your audio visual setup. Yes, <laughs> if you if you'd actually if you'd invested in a nice RGB <laughs> SCART lead, the PlayStation looked quite a lot better than the N64. But yeah. but, but um, uh, yeah, the, the other thing to to note is that it had analog control, which was amazing because it, the, play, the the PlayStation we were doing, dealing mostly with um, digital control at that point, mm. so it's just up down left right. Um, where this, you know, because it had the, the wonderful analog control stick right in the middle of the centre of the pad, um, the N64 pad, it was it was a revelation, and uh, almost to the point of what happened with the the later FIFA's uh, recently when they, you know, I think they redesigned the way that the the analog system worked again. It gave you a lot more fluidity. Um, so, yeah, a re- I actually think it's a really important title to me and my child. And I know we spent a lot of time on it, and I know it bores you to death, Al, but it's it's is important to me that game as Gran Turismo. Um, which is, you know, it's an, it's an odd one because... Oh, God, it's well more important to me than Gran Turismo. Yeah, of course, the, um, <laughs> the ISS series lumbered on into PlayStation 2 era, uh, but it kind of just um, died away as the Pro series, which became Pro yeah. Evo, uh, took hold. But, yeah, the, the, the major A-team who did the ISS games did do at least two on the, on the uh, PlayStation 2 kind of 
generation of consoles. But no, I, I didn't either. They they seemed so insignificant once Winning Eleven really hit his stride that they were widely ignored. I think. Well, if it helps, how I can fall asleep for the next section. No, no, I'm just going to talk about Chumbawamba. Seriously, um, I've just been checking up, and apparently they didn't just fold straight away. They actually released several albums afterwards. Most recently, well, most yeah, significantly. They yeah, um, yeah they, I mean, uh, there was uh, an album in 2000, 2002, 2003, another one in 2003, 2004, 2005, uh, 2010. But the 2008 one is called, this album... The boy bands have won, and all the copyists and tribute bands and the TV talent show producers have won. If we allow our culture to be shaped by mimicry, whether from lack of ideas or from exaggerated respect, you should never try to freeze culture. What you can do is recycle that culture. Take your older brother's hand-me-down jacket and restyle it, refashion it to the point where it becomes your own. But don't just regurgitate creative history or hold art and music and literature as fixed untouchables and keep under glass. The people who try to guard any particular form of music are like copyists and manufactured bands doing the worst disservice because the only thing you can do to music that will damage it is to not change it, not make it your own, because then it dies, then it's over, and then it's done, and the boy bands have won. They just call the album The Boy Bands Have Won in polite company. Once that does not band. sound like a, a, a band, an album title that could be brought to the hearts of people who are like, well, it drinks a whiskey dick, it drinks a vodka exactly. dick, it drinks a lager dick, it drinks a cider dick. There's, oh, those poor guys. Yeah. How, how about being misinterpreted there? There you go. Chumbawamba facts, people. Yeah. I prefer many boy bands to Chumbawamba. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not massively fond of them myself, mainly because of that feckin' song and, the, and what it actually spawned, but um, I've got to give them props for that album title. That's probably the longest ever. Right. So the game night I said I would take a rest break on is um, released in September, Pokemon Red and Blue. This is one of the reasons why 98 is considered to be a huge year for gaming, even though it didn't come out over here until May 99. But we're going to do it anyway in this year. Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue. And I'm not going to send you to sleep, Tony. I promise. But, um, from my point of view, and some people may shock now, I've never played a Pokemon game. Other than um, like for twenty seconds, maybe around your house or, or something like that, just in the pl- passing glance. But oh, the best way to play Pokemon. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. So I, I've never sat down properly with a Pokemon right. game. So well, this, uh, to me. Pokemon Red was the only Pokemon game I ever played at length, and in all seriousness, it, it certainly you know wasn't the most perfect RPG. But the thing that I loved about this game was the fact that you could just play it for a bit on your Game Boy, then save it, turn it off, and then put your Game Boy back on when you were in the queue for the supermarket and start playing again. That was brilliant. And it, it it's just as engaging as, as a hell of a lot of other J, JRPGs, but there's just something very, very compulsive and simple about it. And um, the original Pokemon's Red and Blue, I think, are actually master strokes in, in, in how to turn a, a fairly, you know, at that point, fairly dated uh, handheld system and turn it back into something that you want to keep on you at all times. Uh, and they've just done the same thing over and over again in a way that would make Chumbawamba cry uh, since then. There's a reason why these games don't come out on console, and I'm not sure what that reason is. But either way, it's strong enough to keep it purely on Game Boy. Uh, Ratso, have you ever played these? No, you haven't, actually. You've already Well, there, I was just going to say, there have been some uh, Pokemon RPGs. On, they tried a couple on GameCube, but they, they, they weren't massively successful, I don't think. Um, I should have said I'd- significant. Yeah, I played. Uh, I didn't play any Pokemon for a few years. Actually, I played the Sapphire was my first one on the on the GBA, and I did play the remake of Fire Red. So I, I basically know what's going on, but not at the time. Hello, my name is Dr. Green Chum. I'd like to tell you just where I'm from, in the hills where the trees grow wild with me. 
but we do need to mention how incredibly huge this was. The, the, the world went Pokemon nuts at this point. Now, kids in Japan were having seizures. Kids in America were going mental and making their parents buy them all these stupid things. And people, kids were running around. Uh, th- this didn't affect me until one year later at Christmas '99 when I was working in an electronic boutique. But I had angry parents coming in and going, "What do you mean you haven't got Pokemon Red or Blue?" They're sold out, madam. Everybody wants one. What do you mean you haven't got one? You're a video game shop. I was like, well, get, get Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> I'd just say, this is like Buzz Lightyear, so more people want them than there are on the shelves. It's that simple. Clearly, we should have ordered more. We didn't. I mean, it was huge in America, so why did we not anticipate it would be huge over here? Well, the problem with cartridges and how to make them and the cost of that. Yeah. Cartridges yeah. were a lot to, uh, yeah. to make and chuck out there. So, uh, uh, either way, I'm not going to be talk at length about the game itself, but more the phenomenon that was Pokemon. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I'm done. But I, I, just talking about it's making me kind of want to play Diamond <laughs> and Pearl. Uh, Tenchu Stealth Assassins was released over in this country. It was released a few months earlier in America, and it was released remarkably close, like one month close to a certain other <laughs> stealth espionage action game. And uh, Feudal Japan, and you got to play a ninja, and you got to, you know, skiffle around on the rooftops and jump down, kill a samurai, jump back up again, you know, escape into the night. And what great fun this was back in those days. I mean, I'm afraid to buy it now. It'll cost me a grand old total of £3. And if it had been on PSN Classics, I'd have bought it months ago, years ago. Uh, but it, it was remarkably blocky and... Uh, I would say sandboxy because it kind of it just sort of arranged everything in a boxy kind of very very straight environment um, and the open uh, air levels where you had to hide behind trees were really difficult because the, you could be observed from all angles and um, great fun but I think if I if I think too deeply about it and then if I go back and play it then it's going to become like okay right this dude has just seen me and now I'm just hiding behind a door and he goes must have been the wind and then wanders off and like no 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 keep looking for me <laughs> but uh yeah, every stealth game does that pretty much though doesn't yeah, it yeah it's, it's unavoidable but uh I loved this game and the only modern day equivalent I believe is the Assassin's Creed series well, uh, have you played Tenchu Z on the 360 I mean these games are still these games are still coming out. That's the amazing I've, thing. I read some reviews, and it is both loved and hated. It is hated by people who uh, love the original Tenchu games and love games, and it's loved by people who think that the other people are just complainers and are playing it wrong. So I don't know who to trust. I've never played a Tenchu game other than the trial of the weird sort of strategy one that came out for XBLA, but um, looking back at the developer, the first uh, four were all made by a, t- a Japanese team called Acquire, but at some point it got handed over to From Software, who mm-hmm. are the people behind Ot- Otogi and Demon's Souls, mm-hmm. um, who are not, you know, not lacking in talent. So what, what about uh, Tenchu Shadow Assassins 2009 on the Wii? Uh, you know, I never played them. In, in all seriousness, your best bet would probably be Wrath of Heaven on the PlayStation 2, and it was called Return from Darkness on the Xbox. Uh, it, it's kind of a remake of the original games with new aspects added to it. It's not brilliant, but it's it's better and probably less ropey looking than the very first Tenchu. Uh, it, it's not going to hold up these days, and unfortunately the Xbox version is not back compatible. I'd own it right now. See, I, I actually think it falls on one of those game franchise which is probably just better left in your memory and yeah 
not even so. sure it can be recreated. I think you know, saying Assassin's Creed is is a very good shout of how kind of that that what it would be like today if they yeah, made it properly. Well, I mean, I'm going to back you up for a second here because you know the joke of it is that you said you preferred this over um, Metal Gear Solid. I, um, mm, I, I prefer some elements. The, 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 uh, idea, the, the just the being able to view from behind as opposed to above, I felt more in control. Yeah, I mean, and, and I can I can maybe understand being back then. I can understand where that, that was coming from. Obviously, it was a lot more violent. Mm. Um, there was you know, talking about the PlayStation he- era here, where we suddenly were allowed to have lots of blood on the screen. Also, very significantly, you were rewarded for your stealth kills, and you were rewarded yeah. for never being seen. Whereas in Metal Gear, it, you were almost encouraged not to kill people. You, you were you were you were being praised for being able to w- whisper through like a shadow without any uh, altercations apart from the enforced ones. Well, my best memories of it are is um, throwing down the food onto the ground, and you mm. could either have the poison poison rice, yeah, yeah, they would they would fall down, or you could throw them near a doorway and then sneak up behind them, like mm. over from a balcony or from the top, and it used to, didn't it do like almost like a, a semi cutscene? Yeah, did, like the, the perfect mood on depending how long you'd been stalking them and, and how close you could be. I'm very Manhunt-esque kind of, you know, the closer you are, the, the better the animation of the kill. I mean, it'd probably look blocky as anything now, but I remember yeah. at the time being really quite impressed of the, the, the just the way that it, it would give you maybe ten people to take down and you could go over the rooftops and look at their patterns. You'd probably spend about five minutes looking at the patterns of mm. whether they're going to cross over each other and, and with the, whether they would see the bot- bodies again, but... The classic scenario, you brought this up already, Alex, where you would, they would spot you, you'd go, oh my god, oh my god, and just stand on top of the roof, just above the but head. they'd never look up. Yeah, they would never find you again, and then you would just drop down. Or they'd see you, and then just sort of stand there looking at you, going, <laughs> I see you! And then you'd be like, what? Yeah. What? what? You're not going to climb up here. Um, yeah. Later levels actually had ninjas hunting you as well, that was, that was more fun, but, uh, uh, they balanced it pretty well. We've talked about this way too much. It was not a massively impactful game, but it, it was huge for me because I, I, I love this game. But it's significant that it came out around about the same time as Metal Gear Solid. I think maybe if Metal Gear Solid hadn't come out at all, it might have got a bit more of a following. But then again, the world Metal would have been Gear a sadder Gear. place because <laughs> Metal Gear was so much better of a game. Um, okay, let's hop, skip, and jump for the next couple. Yeah. November, 1080 snowboarding on the N64. Oh, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, we'd had to wait the best part of a year for it. Um, it was not a genre I'd ever really had much truck with. I'm not kind of an extreme sports dude. I'd never got into cool borders or, or any of the others, but 1080 was, uh, I think it's NST, the Nintendo Software Technologies team. Mm. Uh, it's kind of an American branch of Nintendo in-house, um, made this and, uh, the first key thing to do with 1080, uh, and this is still true on Virtual Console, is turn the fucking music off because the music is appalling. Um, the N64 I'm famous for not actually having a dedicated sound chip, and on this they attempted to do some kind of extreme gnarly radical tunes, but they were just shite, totally <laughs> non-licensed, made-up mental bullshit. Um, turn the turn that off, and you get these most beautiful, serene. Uh, sort of, you know, wind-whipped snowscapes, and uh, the lighting for the time was incredible. Um, and it was, as many particularly cartridge-based games from back in the day, it didn't have that many courses, but each one was so brilliantly designed down to the nth degree that uh, you could race them over and over again, um, uh, try and beat your times. You could unlock better borders, the, the silver and gold borders, and even the giant panda. Uh, and... <laughs> 
uh, try and beat your times. And then there are also the trick modes as well, which were extremely difficult. And it, it always, it never got, it was never quite as sort of, uh, intuitive and button perfect as something like Tony Hawk's, but you could get to a point where you could rattle off the titular 1080 and, uh, and get extreme combo high scores. Uh, Absolutely loved it. Still got it on my Wii um, and boot it up occasionally if I fancy something wintry. Okay. Uh, also then, we've already mentioned it, Buster Groove came out. And I remember this one because my sister was better at it than me, which is a first. Haha. <laughs> I adored Buster Groove. Uh, I've been playing Prapper the Rapper for about a year and a half at the point that it came out. Um, mm. Confusingly, of course, this was called Buster Move in Japan, but we renamed Puzzle right. Bubble Buster Move. Yeah. So we, confused everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, we've got to remember, this was a few years ahead of the sort of DDR craze hitting the West before everyone was buying dance mats around 2002 or three or whenever it was over here. Um, this was a dancing game controlled with just the controller, but, uh, it was quite heavily localized, the version we got. The Japanese version had some different tunes and... Uh, there was a bit of Euro pop in there. I think, uh, the Kitty N music <laughs> specifically was very Euro trash style. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I always fancy... Let's listen to that now, shall we? I would never I was fancy getting hold of the original Japanese version. Um, I thought you were going to say of Kitty N. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I bet you did at your impressionable age. Um, and <laughs> like, one of the one of the characters uh, smoked a fag in the Japanese version, yep. in, in Western version, and there was alcohol and stuff. But my oh, my I think the uh, wasn't the the hamburger song racist as well in Japan. Probably almost certain. Um, <laughs> and but the one bit that I remember most fondly Japanese about racist. it. Um, one of the things I remember most fondly, uh, I don't think was meant to be controversial, uh, there's a, a very kind of cheesy uh, kitty pop song by Shorty. Shorty and the uh, Easy Mouse. Yeah, but you see, I didn't hear it as Mouse. I heard it as Shorty mouse? and her Easy Mouth. Shorty and the Easy Mouse. <laughs> she has a mouse. Yeah. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> It pretty much didn't make any impact whatsoever, apart from the radio, radiant silver gun crowd. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this was pretty important, ultimately, in, in the grand scheme of things, of showing how a dance game could be done. It was brilliant. There was a sequel in Japan as well, which never came out over here. Oh, yes. Uh, November, Tekken 3 came out over here. <sighs> now, let's talk about Tekken 3, the NTSC version, because... That w- we can kick Tekken 3 pal to the ground as much as we want it was rubbish but the NTSC version was really 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 good I it suppose it should fast, be said that it was intuitive it was everything Tekken should have been I suppose it should be said that it wasn't like Tekken 3 was particularly brutalised more than many many other power games including Tekken's 1 and 2 and yeah, Ridge Racer yeah. and pretty much everything that was developed outside everything. of these shores um, Tekken 3 as I recall didn't do as well at retail as was expected and mm. as as was as was hoped um, that's because everyone already had their fill of Tekken exactly you know, everyone Tekken 2 through. was the big one as I recall it was the big one even though Tekken 3 was a refinement and it looked stunning for the mm. PS1 it, it, I think it almost still holds up um, graphically almost 
um, whereas Tekken 2 really doesn't. But no. Tekken 2 was the midnight launch game for me. I, I actually turned up at EB at midnight um, mm. with a queue of other people for that. And uh, 3 was cool, though. It had that fantastic intro. Amazing. Music. Yeah. See, te- uh, Tekken 3 wasn't huge for me this year because I, I had to start with the PAL version. I didn't play the NTSC version until later. But that version... Um, I brought it to college with me, and I, I just everyone would come into my room to play that because they'd be like, "I sod the UK version, we'll play that." And we'd just we'd eventually after you know we'd, we'd stick on the soundtrack to the Matrix and take off the energy bars and just beat the shit out of each other with Jin and Brian Fury, who were the closest to Neo and, and mm-hmm. Agent Smith, and just do that <laughs> for hours on end. It was great. It's one of the few fighting games I've ever actually loved. Yeah. And probably thanks to the NTSC version, because it, it runs so smooth, so fast. Oh, I want um, it now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> obviously, th- there's... What's the one on the PlayStation Store? Uh, Tech Old Dark Resurrection. Is oh, no, hang on. Of, um, there's uh, yeah, the PSN version or the, the actual full-blown game with all the characters unlocked? Full-blown game. The, pa- the HD one is the Dark Resurrection. It's actually Tekken 5, Dark Resurrection, which is a PS2 game originally, and then they polished it up, opened up all the characters. It's good, but it's not Tekken 3. Back if you get the uh, if you get the PlayStation 2 NTSC version of Tekken 5, you also get the original Tekken Trilogy emulated arcade boards as part of the package. So that's quite a cool oh, thing to wow. have. This again, this one means nothing to me. F Zero X on the N64 in November. Fantastic. Uh, one of the uh, the big autumn games for the N64, along with Ocarina, which we'll come to, I guess. Um, it was ugly as sin. Sounded horrible. Um, to, to put it into context, when F-Zero, the original, launched with the Super Nintendo, it was a technical tour de force. It used mm. Mode 7, which hadn't been seen before. It was incredibly fast. Again, if you had the NTSC version, it ran at 60 frames. What they did with the F-Zero X is... Uh, they stripped out kind of all unnecessary graphics and colours and made sure that even with 30 other racers or 29 other racers on track, it ran a, a smooth and blistering 60 frames um, and uh, it had bags of that classic Nintendo playability. So great. did you spend your time working through those 29 or did you just usually leap to the front and stay there or end up at the bottom and what? It was like all the best Nintendo games. It started off pretty easy and by the kind of the highest cup, like the fourth tier of competition and the, and the fourth cup, it was brutally hard. Chewing the pan. Insanely hard. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, just like, just like the, the great Mario Kart games. And, uh, you could smash people off the track, which mm. was satisfying. You didn't have weapons a la wipeout, but you had a kind of spinny move. Mm. Um, obviously this was sequeled on the GameCube by Sega, but, uh, yeah, this was this was pretty special at the time. Good four-player, multiplayer split-screen as well. On a console not renowned for its racing games. It had Mario Kart, and that's about it. Well, that's not quite true, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't want to say anything that's bollocks. What uh, what else was really good for racing on the S64? Uh, there was Top Gear Rally. That was pretty good. There was uh, Beetle Adventure <laughs> Racing. There was... Beetle yeah. Adventure Racing. Yeah. Okay. Well, just saying the title in a disdainful voice. <laughs> a good game. That, that's the secret of my podcasting. Don't ruin it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It helped. Yeah. Actually. Metal um, Gear Solid. I could do that for anything. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, there, there were a few. But yes, it, it wasn't the console to have for, for driving games. By and large, you're right. Okay. Two uh, PC titles that kind of passed. Uh, all of us by in uh, November of this year, Baldur's Gate and Thief, the Dark Project. Yep. 
Yep. Important I, games, but not ones that I I played. So. Yeah, the only Baldur's Gate I have played was Dark, Dark Alliance, Alliance on the PS2. Which, what was that? 2001, probably. Yeah, we were living That's together. A good game. I did like later own my save game. Cheers, Sharon. I did later own a double pack of Baldur's Gate one and two, but uh, it was it, the, the event had passed. Yeah, the moment had gone. Yeah. And November finally saw two absolutely incredible, game-changing games. Completely completely unrelated. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. Completely unrelated. Uh, We've mentioned it many times already. Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation 1. Uh, What's to be said about this game? We've already done a show on it, yeah. Yeah, um, (laughs) At the time, we, we had seen nothing like it. In the intermittent years afterwards, we didn't see many games like it. Then when Metal Gear Solid 2 came out, it was a huge letdown. I don't know why. But, uh, yeah, no no kind of perfect storm would ever come together like this in the Metal Gear Solid universe for me. Metal Gear Solid 3 crept up on me when I finally forced my way through it. Um, But uh, 4 and 2 were something of uh, uh, disappointments from the the get-go. Yeah, I mean... I think people use kind of the words like just amazing so too often now. Superlatives, yeah. Yeah, just, you know, but when I say Metal Gear Solid was jaw-dropping at the time, and and I, I really do mean that. It, it was, there's so few games, and, and the next one we're going to talk about as well is, mm. is, is the same kind of league. It's where you, you look at something and go, I've never seen this before, mm. and this is going to change the way that the industry is going to move forward. And I wish it had. But, and, and, In terms think, of cutscenes, maybe it did, but no, well, even then. You know, stealth gameplay was was around, but it wasn't as prevalent as what it had maybe been. It's maybe phased away again now. But like we say, all these all these things eventually end up for something like Assassin's Creed, where you know you're sneaking up people and, and you're trying to avoid them. That kind of gameplay has just evolved, and, and maybe it's less about the just purely the, the sneaking aspect. But mm. I mean, that was only one side of Metal Gear Solid. Obviously, the story was just. I'd say incredible, but it, it's it's a weird story. I mean, anyone who's played Metal Gear Solid knows how strange that story is. But it, yeah. it was a man producing something very different, and you know we can talk about games like Mario sixty four and you know how important that was to the three D genre. But and, and Metal Gear Solid was is one of those games when I I saw it, I suddenly realised that you know games were going could if they wanted to head in a completely different direction. Now, mm. obviously, you can look at the way. That that series panned out, you know, some of the higher points, some of the low points, and it, you know, it's a pretty, you know, turbulent road. But at that time, I was just blown away by, it. and I own the NTSC version, as I, I mentioned before, and it runs smooth, was gorgeous to look at back then, still pretty damn impressive to look at now, and has some elements which, you know, in gameplay, which would be carried on forever, forth in, in you know, within the industry. So, yeah. massively important title, and pretty much cemented. Obviously, Metal Gear had been around uh, on many other platforms before this, but um, it was Sony's one of Sony's really, really big titles back then, um, and cemented them as uh, you know one of those <laughs> a company that you would need to own this console, and this was one of the games to own for mm. that. There are two major aspects of this that I think that made it, first off, grab everybody, and second off, live forever in your head. Uh, the first was that it was very expertly sectional. It was like, right, in this section, you're doing this. In this section, you're doing mm-hmm. this. But it did it in such a magic trick kind of way that it didn't feel like you were just being shunted between one game type, game type and another. It was just like, right, Snake, you have to blow up this box, and it's down the corridor in a U-turn. So what are you going to do with this? Right, well, you're going to use this rocket launcher and then remotely control that rocket round 
around the corner. You're like, I'm doing this now? And then suddenly you'd be fighting the ninja. And it, would, it, would, it, would, it wouldn't be like Devil May Cry where you fight things and then you do platforming. Then you fight things, then you do platforming. Which, again, Prince of Persia sounds of time. Almost exactly the same. Metal Gear Solid kept changing what you were doing to the point where you were never sure what was coming around the corner and you were always captivated by what you were doing. The second aspect was the total head fuck that this game was. Things like, oh, the number's on the back of the box. Put your pad down. I shall make it, I shall make it move like with the power of yeah. my mind. Your memory is completely clear. Just so much head fuckery. And Kojima just popping outside of the game and tapping you on the shoulder. Just brilliance in a way that I had never seen before and rarely since. So, I mean, it cannot be underestimated how impactful this game was on so many people. And also at a time when I think we were fairly naive to that stuff. Now, I mean, Metal Gear mm. Solid 4 did a lot, of, a lot of the same tricks, but it, it kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, a lot more cynical. You were expecting where, it. Yeah, things work now. Where back then, it, when you put the pad on the floor and it rattled, that <laughs> the kind of jump that happened can only be done, you know, when when you're kind of inexperienced with the way <laughs> the industry was back then. Um, so, I'm, Leon, you've been very quiet. So yeah. I'm scared that you don't necessarily agree with some of these opinions. Um, I, uh, well, Metal Gear Solid the first was uh, one of the two reasons, along with Tekken 3, why I did get uh, an import-enabled PlayStation 1, the, nice. the same one I still own now. Um, and I did get, uh, well, I must admit, a very rare thing for me, but it was kind of slipped to me, was a, a, a hooky pirate copy of Metal Gear Solid towards the end of... Um, Good Lord, like, man, I've never heard of anybody with a pirate <laughs> copy of Metal Gear Solid. It's unusual. It. <laughs> it looks shiftily to one side. Unusual for me, um, but I did I did go on and buy the special edition power box with T-shirt and dog tags. And, and special slow game. Sa- soundtrack and Ooh, special slow squashed. game, yeah. But obviously it has the CD case on it, which was kind of important yeah. um, if you didn't have the internet. Uh, but I have to say, I didn't actually get round to completing it, despite having those two copies, until just before Metal Gear Solid 2 came out. Um, because I was completely blown away by the presentation and all those touches you just talked about. But to be honest, I found that I'm not a massive fan of stealth gaming. Um, and I didn't find the control system particularly intuitive. I found, and I, I, I didn't find the shooting particularly satisfying. Uh, you wouldn't so, have liked Tenchu then, Jesus. So... The, the thing was, an amazing game, and, and yes, uh, you know, kudos and props to Kojima for trying different things and moving the genre forward, but I think sometimes some of the actual gameplay shortcomings of Metal Gear Solid yeah. are slightly overlooked, but that said, when I did finally get around to finishing it, I did it twice back-to-back, and once on easy, once on normal, and, uh, and went straight on to Metal Gear Solid 2 with a fire in my belly, so, uh, so yeah, not exactly a bad I, game. I, I think... All the titles we talk about, certainly the ones that really kind of bring back those memories are with a pinch of salt of actually, you know, gameplay um, efficiencies. I mean, saying that uh, there there is certain ones here that you have to remember back then, they were actually probably almost perfect. But, uh, yeah, I think all these are somewhat, you know, lavish memories of, of gaming's past. But I'd, the thing that stood out for me from Metal Gear Solid was... One, it looked amazing, certainly for th- that console as well, but the opening level, the snow level, where you walked around and you left footprints, and then they... Whose footprints are these? Yeah, and they went searching for you, and... Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, and the rats in the the rats in the rats ventilation shaft and all that stuff was amazing. Just a box. the... Uh, the uh, Silicon Knights remake for the GameCube, the Twin Snakes, yeah. uh, which, which divides opinion, um, but is graphically does stand up a little better than the PS1 original. But so will set you back about five times as much money as the uh, as version on PSN. So and also that, that snow level, first level, is makes a reappearance in four as well. Yeah. 
true. The next one, probably the most significant PC game. Well, definitely of that year, but uh, maybe of the decade. I'm going to say Doom was probably the most significant game of the decade, but this probably would come a close second. Arguments, anyone? No. With World of Warcraft being the most significant one of the next decade. Half-Life. Now, I will say before I carry on, I don't like Half-Life. It's annoying. I hate the platforming. <laughs> I hate the fact that it's... It, platforming in a first-person game doesn't fucking work. I hate the fact that I end up running around the place going, where the fuck am I? However, it's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant game. Let it took the FPS to, to, to such new levels, because before that, aside from Goldeneye, it was just, you are in a level. There are many things in this level that wish to kill you. They will do so with bullets and chewing... And that was it. And you just have to kill them all and get out. Uh, Goldeneye added objectives and things like press this button, get this key, stick it in there, and that was brilliant. But Half-Life, it gave you a whole environment to have to traverse. And you had to use your brain and you had to really think about it and use physics. So I'm, and I'm the person who's played it the least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've completed Half-Life... Uh and uh, it wasn't wasn't until a couple of years later, until I got a PC. It was one of the reasons that I'd wanted a PC for the previous couple of years. Oh, did you play it on PS2 then? No, 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 no. I I played it on the PC. I just waited until the year 2000. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, no, I, I never played the. Uh, um, well, yeah, there was a dream. The, uh, there was a Dreamcast <laughs> conversion, the which fabled Dreamcast one. Which yeah, yeah it was yeah, basically finished, but yeah. but never released. Oh, and Blue. Sh- I did play Blue Shift on PC. That was one of the reasons I bought a Dreamcast like I could get half life without having to invest in a super duper oh. PC no uh, I absolutely when I finally got around to playing it obviously uh, the nature of PCs meant that I could you know still play it at a high probably a higher res than people were at the time and it was higher res than the graphic that I was playing on my Dreamcast at the time so it still looked fantastic uh, and it was still unlike <clears throat> anything I'd played before I suppose in, in the way that it was selling narrative and bits of horror and, and incredible invention there are a couple of bits that I really didn't like there's the, the bit with the uh, with the big clangy claw in the, the big tunnel that you end, you end up torching with the um, with the jet engine the rocket engine yeah, rocket. Um, where you have to avoid making noise running down I think that that bit doesn't really work it's not very good fun um, but it was and clever even if it, it didn't quite work clever. that was actually one of the bits I was going to say was really accomplished it was but it yeah, I didn't actually enjoy it. It was one of, you know, you could get insta, insta death just by sort of walking slightly too fast and that, that kind of comes back to my frustration with stealth gaming. So that's probably a personal thing, but, um, the, and of course, infamously, the final level and boss are a bit of a disaster, but, yes. uh, it, it was, uh, it was still a, an astonishing experience, incredibly immersive and atmospheric. I remember having enormous problems getting it to run with my first PC and being incredibly upset and frustrated but when I did finally get to play it through it was uh, it was wonderful although 
I'm one of those who thinks that they completely trounced it in every single way with the sequel. Um, mm. Half-Life 2 is an absolute masterpiece. It's a lot for me. It's a lot darker, a lot more interesting. But uh, Half-Life 1, obviously, a, a very important game. Yeah, well, I'm not going to add any more to you know the superlatives of how great Half-Life was and how it changed the industry. What I will add is two stories. Um, I never had a PC good enough to play Half-Life. I never had a PC for a very long time to even mm. play Half-Life. So I never got to see it run on the PC other than around our friend Tom's house at the time. And now you remember that. Yeah, um, Paul was also unconvinced until he saw it. He was like, "Why? Yes. okay, oh my God, I want this. And, and his fascination, the, the way he used to try to sell Half-Life was he used to bring the crowbar out and smash boxes. And he's like, there you got a crowbar. And that's how he sold Half-Life. Now, and, and I was really unimpressed about it. It wasn't until... Because you could think, shoot boxes in Goldeneye. That was yeah, nothing really wow. new, was it? Um, Sorry. And I think he's maybe just showing off the physics or whatever. But it, it wasn't until I said, look, can I just see this from the start? And, and he played the open railway sequence. And mm. Not the train, but, you know, the... Tra- monorail. Monorail tram. That you go in and it was showing the environment. And that environment was huge and lush and amazing. And it, it was... And it story. sold you the world. Yeah, and you didn't do any gameplay in particular. And it was like the, what, probably 20 minutes before anything really happens. You mm. even really take control of uh, him to any real respect so that blew me away um i played half-life and i've never played it on pc so um but i played it on the playstation 2 yeah which a, a lot of people obviously said it's a, a pretty poor conversion it was of, of half-life and it probably was so I, i've never experienced the purest version of it um but i loved it on the ps2 because i, I didn't know any different so you know to me it, it played like half-life should and unfortunately the playstation 2 version was all but broken at the end level uh, that whole section where you go off in kind of zen, the, the zen, the outer space area, and and fight aliens was so hard. Great idea. <laughs> yeah, I know Paul never even beat it. <laughs> he never got to see the end of it because he he gave up because it was. Oh, we, you and I did I sit and it. watch an hour long uh, speed run of it, didn't he? Didn't we? Well, yeah. It involved cheating and jumping over walls. Um, but I, I did beat it, and uh, yeah, it's an amazing. I agree with you, Ratchet. Though I think. Um, Two outstripped it, it yeah. yeah. Beats it in pretty much every single aspect. And, you know, once again, when that, that hit, and it was just incredible. Some of the early footage they showed in that and, and changed the game again. But Half-Life, yeah. PC, the PC gamers, that they, they rubbed that one in. <laughs> they let us know that Half-Life yeah. came from PC. We know. And what they really need is Half-Life 3 right now. Something that requires <laughs> an awesome PC to play. Well, it set Valve on a, a very profitable path. Yeah. So. Maybe they're scared to release Half-Life 3. <laughs> Tomb Raider 3 came out on the PlayStation, PC, and Mac. Meh. It was just like, it's not as good as Tomb Raider 2. That's the one where, isn't that the first thing you do in Tomb Raider 3? You're just sliding down the hill. Mm. You're going, ah! And then you've got to jump at exactly the right time, otherwise you die. And of course, everyone's going to jump wrong and die immediately. What a stupid way to start your game. You're like, I'm dead. I guess I'll just do that again then, shall I? (laughs) Zero momentum. Ironically, you start off with 100% momentum, and then it kills you straight away. Yeah, but she she did have an independently animated ponytail with real physics, so, you know. This was the time when they were now releasing a Tomb Raider game a year. So there was Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider 2, Tomb Raider 3, Tomb Raider 4, Tomb Raider... Five, Tomb Raider six, Tomb Raider. Seven. Yeah, but you, Tomb Raider three. She was being promoted everywhere. Yeah, and that, this is the height of what the PlayStation was yeah. really pushing. Was that the games. the one who was in the Hollow Man and right. Doomsday? The terrible. Uh, Not Nell McCandrew. The other one, Rona Mitra. Rona Mitra. Was that Rona Mitra that year, or was she an early year? We don't probably. Know. So, 
Yeah, that, this is what not to do with a frigging game series. It's just annual instalments. I'm amazed Activision weren't behind this one. But it killed Call, so... <laughs> Eventually. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yet another... I, I don't remember many people saying about how great Tomb Raider 3 was. <laughs> uh, Mario Party came out on the N64, the first one of a very, very long series. You got 12 now? 13? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was really quite original and fun at the time uh, I really enjoyed Mario Party it had a, had a real charm and a magic to it interestingly the recent virtual console release they skipped the first one altogether and went straight to 2 because 2 kind of refined a lot of things that were wrong with the first one um, that's not what Nintendo do they're supposed to release the bolt well, first one and then release a better one that you can pay for again later Perhaps it's because the first one was infamously the one with the uh, rotate the analog stick as fast as you can sections, which caused uh, skin blisters on <laughs> half the population of America or something. And they sent out free gloves to uh, to recompense for their idiocy of games design. Um, Years later, they'll be of, selling out condoms. Yeah. Their Wiimotes. <laughs> Wiidoms. Mm. Mm. Uh, it's a nice game. Local multiplayer, anyway. Terrible one-player game. Party on your own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, this one I wasn't too familiar with. I believe you bought it as well, Tony. I but did. Two Rock 2, Seeds of Evil. Now, yeah. Leon, you have an extra grind. Well, now, I went out like many a new N64 adopter the year before and paid best part of 70 money. for yep. for the original Turok Dinosaur Hunter. Which you couldn't and even save on. You had to buy a pack separately. Yeah, you had to buy a save pack. That's right. Um, so all that money didn't even cover a battery? No, or an EEPROM or whatever they had in them. Um, uh, but Turok 1 was, uh, you know, it was technically kind of impressive. It was, uh, it was a launch title. It had ridiculous amounts of fog to cover in the draw distance. <laughs> Some um, really fun weapons, though. I mean, like, that, yeah, well, that, it was like a rail gun yeah. that you'd fire through dudes and they'd go, Ugh, and they'd, like, f- fly over yeah. because you'd pierce their chests. And then yeah. the bullet would lodge in the back of whatever you'd shot behind them and then explode. And then they'd scream and fly through the air. And you'd be like, this is the best gun ever. Yeah, the, f- the fun weapons thing continued into the sequel, but uh, the first one was ultimately let down by too much fog, too much collecting, and fucking respawning enemies. Platforming? Platforming in Turok was a Yes, 3D nightmare. platforming, although you could... Yeah, I mean, it was the logs on the side of the things and yep. insta-death with no... Falling into a big canyon yeah. full of mist. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you could yeah. alleviate it somewhat by looking using the camera buttons to look straight down at your feet. Shouldn't have to. Couldn't yeah, you couldn't see your feet. You could see the shadow. Obviously, we were still some years from Retro Studios fixing the first-person jumping thing in Metroid Prime with their genius move of automatically making you look down just before you jump. Um, or just Assassin's Creed, just jump. Oh, you made it. It's fine. You made it. Jump, jump, jump. Uh, you made all Metroid, three of those. Metroid great. Prime is fantastic um, and and did reward first-person platforming. Um, I I would enjoy that technique more than Assassin's Creed personally but um, anyway Turok 2 started being uh, previewed the next year um, it looked amazing it was the pretty much the first or one of the first games to utilise the 4 meg memory expansion pack which came out about the same time oh was you that could, the uh, Nintendo crutch the, the thing with the red tab on top yeah it was basically it would double your, your internal memory from 4 megs to 8 so it wasn't insignificant and, and it was actually quite well supported I think over 50 games in the end 
used it to some degree or other and uh Turok, for Turok it, it gave you the option of high res graphics which were probably 640 by 480 or something like that oh, <laughs> oh uh, wow uh so yeah stunning stuff but um Turok 2 so yeah great reviews including a 9 out of 10 in edge which they have since gone on record as kind of taking back basically because the level design was so ridiculous and sprawling and again it had similar problems with fog and if you did put on the high-res graphics the frame rate dropped and uh friends of mine dubbed it turok lost because uh, every time they saw me playing it i had absolutely no idea where i was (laughs) levels were just too vast just no checkpointing no signposting and uh, the the fundamentally the combat was quite good, and again the weapons were spectacular. Famously, the cerebral bore or the yep. cerebral bore. Oh, it, it was stuck in their brain, and then they and did they tore uh, itself down. Grey ma- yeah. matter, yeah, oh. which was awesome. And uh, and the multiplayer was fun for five minutes or so, uh, but it was no golden eye. You get and to play a raptor in that. You, you you see these little raptor worms going nyah, 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 at the front, and you charged around the place. Maybe that was because there was a multiplayer only spin off from Turok 2 as well. well like I can't rage. Think. Turok Rage, yeah. Turok um, Rage, Blood Rage, Dinosaur yeah. Blood. That's what Something it was like that. But, um, it, yeah, it basically, it, uh, it was probably a 6 or 7 out of 10 game, um, that cost £100. So. 7 still really good. From what, from ever, all this kicking everyone's been giving it, seven's pretty good. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that. Maybe I'm being generous there. I'm Give trying it a to five. Think, I'm trying to think for the time, but yeah, the level design rendered it pretty much uncompletable. So actually, yeah, probably more like a four. Here you go. <laughs> Turok Dinosaur Hunter. Turok Battle of the Bionosaurs. Turok Two Seeds of Evil. Turok Rage Wars. Turok Rage Wars. Three Shadow of Oblivion. Turok Evolution. Uh, that was on the PlayStation Two. PlayStation Two, yeah. And uh, just Turok, which failed yes. to set the 360 on fire. Reboot Turok, yeah, bullshit. Yep. Yeah, just crap. It's been one week since you looked at me. Cocked your hand to the side and said I'm angry. Five days since you laughed at me. Saying, get back together, come back and see me. Three days since the living room. I realized it's all my fault, but couldn't tell you. Yesterday, you'd forgiven me. But it'll still be two days till I say I'm sorry. So, yeah, going from a, a real feckin' disappointment on the N64 to... What has been described as the greatest game of all time? It's The Legend of Zelda, The Ocarina of Time. Uh, now, I would dispute that because there's, <laughs> I, there's only so often that you can fight your way through to the Temple of Time and then just give up as soon as you become an adult. Um, but it's still incredible. Even today, The Ocarina of Time, one of the most elegant and, and awe-inspiring fun adventures I've ever undertaken. Annoying as hell, every time Link even nudged an enemy, especially as a kid, he'd go, and fly backwards, often off the side of the platform he was balanced upon, falling all the way back down and having to work his way back up again. But the the sense of being in this gigantic world to explore and liberate was uncanny at the time, for just, just for just that sense of scale. Talking about 3D platforming, that was pretty much the first game I can remember that used the thing that Assassin's Creed uses now, which is yeah, the auto jump at the edge of the you platform. You made it, which was I was fine with, frankly. I was, yeah. I'm Although sure. it's it actually not not it didn't work everywhere. Remember that the sort of the run up to uh, the Zora Kingdom, there were all those sort of like hanging platforms and sort of snaking platforms, and sometimes you'd leap into space like a complete knob. <laughs> Tony, did you enjoy this one? 
I, well, we've said so much about it on yes. obviously the Zelda show. The Zelda so cards, yeah. yeah. I'm not too sure we can say much more, but... Well, this was the first Zelda that was in 3D, so it, it changed the game completely. I mean, it, it's... Of all the, the 3D Zeldas, actually... You like Wind Waker, <laughs> right? No, I see, I love Wind Waker, but, you know, it, nothing can take away the significance of what this game brought um, mm. to the Zelda series and how many other people think this is probably the greatest game ever made, and it's one of the reasons why, um, obviously, 98 is regarded as a, a hugely influential year. Yeah. Um, but not for nursery, you know, it, it, I think it, re- it just re-kicked the Zelda series, um... You know that that troublesome of how do you take something from 2D to 3D and you know perfectly <laughs> just like Mario 64, it done it seamlessly, effortlessly at the time, and then yeah. what makes the N64 one of the, the greatest consoles, obviously for for games like this. But like I say, we've we've said so much about it, um, it's it's hard to <laughs> to throw much more. Yeah. It was uh, it was incredibly exciting. It was it was an amazing release. If you remember, there were shortages, and uh, I remember sending my then girlfriend of the time into town i was at work and uh, she managed to nab one of the four copies or whatever they got in virgin megastore and uh, and you know we've been looking at uh, preview shots of this for about three years at this point yeah. because uh, they when they first back like, when it was, all, uh, was it, uh, the ultra 64 yeah, project 64 shoshinkai space show or whatever in 95 um or 96 maybe they showed some so showed some uh, sort of test footage, and as they tend to do, and uh, um, our appetites were getting all whetted for. Mm. Obviously, we'd had Mario completely successfully moved into 3D, so yeah. our confidence yeah. was high, and we were rewarded with one of the most kind of perfectly formed and bizarrely atmospheric, with a, a feel like nothing else um, game. You know, I was. I, I still think I would still argue that SNES linked to the past. Is probably probably stands up better because of its 2D mm, nature mm. and and is perhaps a more perfect game. But uh, but Ocarina had had this really eerie sort of oddness to it, and which they obviously took to the max with with um, Jorah's Mask. But Ocarina is 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 a classic. I, I think the thing to say about Ocarina, in, in certainly in, in hide, hindsight, is that everyone seems to be wanting that game again. Yeah, uh, every Zelda. Fan. That's why they keep trying to make something with a lot of hallmarks of it over yeah, and over again. Um, Even Skyward Sword's very bloody similar. Well, they are yeah. now just remaking it, of course, for the 3DS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That never quite works the same as like when I played uh, Mario 64 on the, the Nintendo DS. It's like no, yeah. it, it won't. Be the same. <laughs> I mean, no, but uh, yeah, yeah, well, you won't that, be 18 again, and you won't be sitting there going, "Oh my god, the first 3D Zelda." You can't get that back. That's yeah. That. <laughs> That's a, a thing to say about all these games, though, is time and place certainly does serve a, a mm. real significance in, in all these titles that we've talked about. And anybody, for people that are, are younger than us and, and have, have no experience and certainly none of experience at the time of playing these games, sometimes it's very, it's very hard to kind of grasp you know, the, the passion we're having. And certainly if you played them now, and well, it's a bit shit. But you, you have to remember that a lot of these games changed the industry. Then they, they did. I mean, we can look at Gran Turismo now and go, huh, my God, what a mess. But it, it, it did significantly change the way that racing games would be developed or you know appreciated for years and years until this present day. Um, and, yeah, <laughs> occurring the time, it does have its detractors. Um, we Obviously, they came out on our, our Zelda show, but... There, there is very few people out there that would argue that, that it, it isn't deserving of its places, if not the greatest Zelda game. But <laughs> Get a room full of uh, 100 gamers aged about 30 and just say, 
ocarina of time to them and just watch their eyes go a bit misty <laughs> as they go. Yeah. Oh. Or indeed nearly 40 in my case. Yeah, indeed. Nearly 40. Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to get quite it, w- it was magic. It was magic for me and my N64 owning mates at, at our age as well. So <laughs> We can party with the cool kids too. Good year for the N64. Yeah, I mean, this was the last great year for the N64. After this, it was kind of downhill. I mean, that Perfect Dark was probably the highlight of the next year. Maybe anything else, anyone? 2000, I think, Perfect Dark. Oh, fuck. Yeah, we had Paper Mario later on and Conker's Bad Fur Day and things like that, but uh, it was, yeah, it was the Yeah, start. you're right, it was. Too so, oh, God, so yeah. I mean, we've already said that, obviously, the Saturn, this was its, its last kind of big year. The N64 was arguably flagging at this point. Mm. It was yeah. just before they started bringing out all the, the different colours of N64 mm, and the Pikachu consoles. Yeah, the famous Pikachu console. And, yeah. the, and the PlayStation seemed to be doing very, very well. So yeah. it trucking on. It had the right attitude. The games were inexpensive to produce. And um, there, there was just a gigantic library of them. And, and inexpensive and undemanding customers. Brilliant method for having huge amounts of uh, business. can say we, we have the benefit of the, the filter of time but of course it is easy to forget the extraordinary amounts of shovelware shite that the PS1 was getting from 99 onwards mm. um, but I mean 98 was the, the kind of the golden year wasn't it I, I, I mean it's hard not looking at 99 and all the games released within that year but obviously the Dreamcast was starting to knock on the door it just been released in what Japan November yeah that was Japan Little orange swell. Did you almost buy one, Tony? I came very close. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, Soul Calibur was <laughs> amazing to look at. Soul Calibur came out in July of '98 in the arcades, but we were told when it comes out on Dreamcast, it's going to look like this, which was enough to get our mouths salivating. The, the reason I, I bring the whole Dreamcast thing up because '98 was the year that I think things were starting to, you know, that we'd have these amazing games, but we were starting to look ahead. The Dreamcast was the first one where we were going, ooh. Look at the power, and you know the screenshots were coming out. The videos were starting to come out, and mm. yeah, undoubtedly I was I, I was looking at importing one. I never did do it, um, mainly because maybe at that time, since I was old enough to start realising that this was my money and it was very hard earned, and it doesn't just grow on trees, and you can't ask your parents. <laughs> but um, mm. it's it's interesting to know. Obviously, the PlayStation Two was a couple of years off yet, so and that's why maybe the PlayStation was trucking on just perfectly fine, although. Shovelware was was prevalent as as previously said, but just talking slightly a bit, the the N sixty four. I can't really think of many more games that were to be released that were massively memorable. Perfect Dark, Donkey Kong. It's about all I think. They all all the good ones after this had to have the crutch. Yeah, I mean, um, without specifically going for year upon year, you know, it's it's hard to to narrow down. Maybe we are forgetting some stuff, but the GameCube was a way off at, at ninety eight. Two thousand two. 
in the yeah, yeah, Xbox. We, we talk about like the extended cycle we're on now. Yeah, that was what, so another four years away before we were even getting the, the GameCube. Yeah. So the N64 had to struggle for a very long time, being that you know the top Nintendo console without the handhelds, without Pokemon. Let's face it, Nintendo would have been in dire straits at that stage. Yeah, it would have been a bad console if it was your only console. But uh, for those of us who also had the the disc-based machines, it was fine just occasionally getting uh, a game like Majora's Mask or Jet Force Gemini or something like that. I mean, yeah. there were still some great games coming out, but they were they were fewer and farther between. It's but, true. But alas, that is the future. That is something we will cover, no doubt, in another podcast. So we talk about the now '98. I think it was a damn fine year. I mean, many people have classed this as the best year of gaming. Having that conversation, I don't know if it was. Maybe not for me. Maybe not for my personal taste. But, so, Al, can you narrow it down to, like, the most significant, like, the proper big significant releases? Although we've talked about 30 titles here. Yeah, well, um, I'd say the most important ones would be Gran Turismo, uh, Pokemon Red and Blue, Metal Gear Solid, Half-Life, and Ocarina. That's not a bad year. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they've all gone to do, obviously, stellar series, um, multiples of millions, and, and, and carried, arguably, those platforms mm. uh, on their own for a very long time. And, you know, although to, to see maybe where they've ended up now a, a number of years later, eh, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got to admit, when uh, when you approached me about doing a 98 show, it was a bit like, but I always think of 1997 as being the major year in the, the latter half of the 90s um, with... Castlevania Symphony of the Night, Final Fantasy VII, GoldenEye, Star Fox 64, Parappa the Rapper, things like that. But now we've been through 98. You can see it's uh, it's also another huge year. So 98. I mean, we're going to be doing a whole bunch of other years um, between now and the end of time. And uh, so <laughs> we'll definitely be able to zero in on what we consider after talking about it is our personal favorite year. Um, I don't think it's going to be this one for me. But it is undeniably absolutely huge in terms of, uh, of of significant releases. Tony, just so we know where we're going next, do you want to go back further or come a little bit closer? Yeah, that's a difficult Ooh, one, isn't it? Closer. <laughs> you, so what, like 2007, the, the the year Digital Cowboys launched and the world of gaming was changed <laughs> that's, forever. That's too far forward. That's too far forward. Or do we go all the way back to 1984? And just get some old people on because we weren't doing games well, I mean, at that point. Yeah, we we could lead this piece in for for people maybe to suggest where we go yes because yes we need a consensus year by year but then i don't think you would get necessarily the the discussion of oh it would be boring because they'd knock on from each other i like the idea of jumping around yeah so i I think we'll leave it to to the uh the listening public to decide this takes a lot of research folks so we won't be doing these all in the next few months this is going to be spread out throughout of uh, 2011 yeah so so let us know yeah i mean personally i'd like to jump forward um, and then maybe jump backwards again beyond 98. I would be intrigued to talk about 2005 and the, the big crossover to HD. <laughs> There's some games we could talk about there. Significantly because that was the year I wasn't even playing games. So this will all be sort of the stuff I missed. I didn't pick it up for another year. There's some big games in 2005, yeah. yeah. That, that's my suggestion at the moment because I... Because the the launch of the 360 was huge, and and the 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 slow decline of the previous generation, or just you know, in fact, not even that, just the abandonment from Microsoft of the previous generation, as they you know really were like, right, we've we've done that, now we're moving on. 
biggest yeah, thing for me in 2005 was uh, was the launch of the no, well, no. Um, the launch of the DS and the PSP. That was what I spent most of my time on that year. I the original DS? Uh, yeah, the original FAT. Um, I didn't get a 360 at launch because, frankly, the launch lineup was shite. <laughs> I didn't get one until Gears of War came out. That impressed me. Same here. Fanboy. Of course, I was going to buy one. Yeah. Well, thank God you did because you, I might not have had you around to convince me. <laughs> um. 2005, wasn't that the launch of World of Warcraft? Do you know what? Next one we're doing, 2005. Uh, isn't <laughs> that isn't Half-Life 2 <laughs> that period? It is pretty <laughs> fucking significant, look at it like that. Half-Life uh, 2 was 04. But Warcraft yeah. did beta in very, very early 05, maybe very late 04. But it, it wasn't released until 05, so uh, we could definitely talk about that. Okay, 05, it's our next one. But okay. by all means, folks, you need to suggest what we do after 05. Probably go backwards in time. Pick a year before 1998, then. And don't just say 1997, you smart asses. <laughs> Although I want to talk about GoldenEye 2. Okay, so that's all from us. Uh, Leon, do you want to <laughs> pimp your show? I've done this before on here, haven't I? I believe. Uh, and yeah, so uh, we're also members of the UGN, the Unified Gamers Network, and you can find us at gamerdork.net. Me and my co-host Neil or Zibzang. But we did invite on, but was busy. Yes, he's well, working tonight. And um, those cocks won't suck themselves. Indeed, and that leather won't strip itself, turn itself into <laughs> broken down fat or whatever he does. <laughs> um, and uh, yes, and our Gamer Dork podcast is uh, on iTunes. It's the one with all the five star reviews. <laughs> Huzzah! <laughs> we will catch you guys later. This has been the look back on 1998, and I've had fun looking back on when I was young and spry. I've been Alex Shaw. Oh, now I have to grow facial hair and feel aches and pains and return back to my 30-year-old self. <sighs> I've been Tony Atkins. And we will see you guys later, but it's closing time. Happy trails. That's what I was going to do. I was going to offer a Yoshi rebuttal. After your appalling dismissal of him in favour of a load of shite characters in your <laughs> recent uh, top characters. Hang on. Well, hang on. June Nukem <laughs> was replaced by Kai and Nariko. Would, no, that was, good. That, that was good. that was good. Oh, that, that was so, fair enough. Yeah. Oh, no, it I mean, was Joker from Mass Effect. Yeah.
No, no, I'm not saying. No, I'm not saying that Joker from Mass Effect was necessarily shouldn't have been in there. I'm no. just saying that there were characters in the. Oh, what, that I should have tossed out instead of Yoshi. Yeah, because Yoshi is a great character. He is a character. Well, nobody same. said anything about yeah. it. I, well, I, 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 know, I should have. Months. I realized. I realized I should have. Uh, I should have stepped up to the plate at the I time. Even at the last minute, uh, last like few days, I was like, look, no one said anything about yeah, these. Yeah, sorry, I should have stepped up. Uh, and, uh, and if we're doing apologies, we're so sorry about Yuna as well. She deserved far more representation than yeah. being slagged off. Yeah. <laughs> I said, Tony, do you want to talk about Yuna? I haven't got my well, good stuff. It's because I hadn't quite heard how <laughs> how much of a slagging off she was going to get. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Kinds of half-written, badly written, six-form student-level <laughs> characters in the top 25. Whereas yes. Yoshi, just because he—it's it, like you know, not everything that is Dante on the surface way too high. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, and some of the Western characters as well. But um, Yoshi, just because he's childish on the surface, doesn't mean that he doesn't have uh, a strong personality. <laughs> okay, discuss point. Yoshi's strong personality. You have a minute. Yoshi embodies optimism, strength, courage, hope, um, determination. <laughs> uh, he's extremely cute to look at. He's probably one of the, the most adorable non-baddie characters in the Mario universe. Um, and the most important and best thing about him is that every time you get on Yoshi in a Mario game, uh, a, a layer of percussion is added to the already brilliant music. Okay, I'm convinced. Yeah, <laughs> Yoshi can stay, but uh, who get who are we getting rid of? Oh, someone, some shit like. Was it? Were there any Gears of War Wesker. people? There? there you go, get rid of Wesker. Agent Forty Seven. Uh, no, it was Barry Burton. Yeah, Bar- sort of yeah. Barry Burton. <laughs> uh, Barry, Bur- Barry Burton is a rubbish character, but at least he's funny. Um, it's him or Joker. Sam Fisher and all that shit. Oh, Jack Sam Fisher. I'm yeah. not getting into this one. <laughs> Sam Fisher's for fourteen-year-old boy. Some other beginnings and